0: excited to be here today. Uh, my name is Billy. Uh, if y'all don't know me, uh, I'm the pastor at our uh, Connection Church in, in Vidalia. Uh, how many of you guys know where Vidalia is? Y'all know? Yeah. All right. There we go. We're on the same place. Uh, I didn't bring any onions. I'm sorry. Um, but I did bring, uh, I guess, a sweetness. I'm a sweet guy. So here we go. Um, I'm just kidding. So no, today uh, I'm going to open up to the book of, of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open there. Um and uh, I'll go ahead and pray for us, and uh, then we'll jump right in. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, I'm so excited to be here. God, I'm so excited about what you're doing uh, with this group of people. Uh, God, that is your church. Lord, I just pray, God, as we dig into your word this morning, I know there's so many people. Uh, that God, they're, they're here, and they're from so many different places. And God, they even sit in this seat, and, and maybe they're in a good place with you or a bad place with you. Uh, but, Lord, I'm so thankful that your grace is uh, overcomes all of that. Uh, God, you uh, say that your word is living and active. God, I believe that. Lord, I believe you want to speak to each of our hearts this morning. The Lord, I just pray as we look at your word that that's exactly what you would do. God, meet us where we are. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, Acts 16 is where we're going to be. Um, this morning. So as, as we kind of look, or not Acts 16, I said Philippians 2, right? Y'all got me uh, rustled up here already. But anyway, um, so Philippians chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and read that for us, and, and then we will uh, jump in. Everybody get to Philippians 2, okay? All right. Philippians 2, when you get there to uh, just say hey to me. All right, all right. I'm used to people talking back to me, so you guys don't be shy. Um, y'all, y'all can speak as you feel led. So Philippians chapter 2, um, here we go. Starting in verse 1. And I want to explain a little bit about Philippians before we kind of just jump straight in. So uh, just listen up to me kind of where uh, you are. Philippians is one of my favorite books in all of Scripture. Um, Philippians is a book that uh, really Paul doesn't uh, have a, a ton of rebuke for Philippi. Uh, God had really just hit Philippi Um, exactly where it was. And and that's why I said Acts 16 while ago. But if you know anything about Acts chapter 16, uh, God had had rescued three people to start the church at Philippi. One uh, was uh, a woman, kind of a prominent woman in culture named Lydia, uh, who was a uh, salesman of purple cloth, so to speak. That just meant she was fancy and high up. And so he uh, had opened her eyes to the gospel. She had responded to the gospel and fell in love with Jesus. And And she began to open up her home for the church to start in Philippi. So uh, the church of Philippi met in a lady named Lydia's home, uh, and it says that her and her whole family got saved after she heard the gospel. And then uh, Paul and and Silas are walking around, and uh, somebody's following them, a little girl. Uh, It says she was a slave girl is what it says, but it says she was possessed by a demon. And so she was following Paul and them around the city, and finally... Paul got to the point where he was like, man, this girl keeps trying to hinder the gospel from going forward. And he turns around and he says, demon, come out. Boom, she just kind of falls out and, and got cast a demon out of her. She gets saved. She comes into the church of Philippi. The next day, uh, they, they lock Paul and Silas up. They're in jail. And it says the believers gathered together and they were praying. And Paul and Silas were praying and singing, uh, really singing worship songs to God in prison. It says an earthquake happened. The prison doors opened up, uh, and, and, and instead of running, as most of us would do out of jail, Paul and Silas stayed, led the prison guard to Jesus. Him and his whole family get saved. So then this is the start of the church at Philippi. So in order to understand why Paul's writing to them and he's so fired up about Philippi and what's going on there, you have to understand that background. And so what he does for the first half of the book of Philippians is he really uh, just tells them he's so excited for what God has started in their midst. But he says, I cannot wait to see what God is going to do to finish this work of salvation that he started. And that's where I want to pick up with you this morning and and talk to you a little bit about the culture of serving. And uh, here's Philippians chapter 2. It says this. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. I want you to underline that. Rather, in humility... Some translations say, Count others more significant than yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing is Lord, to the glory of the Father. I mean, it's just an incredible scripture. I mean, it preaches itself. I don't even have to say anything. I can just sit down. But uh, the, a couple things that I want to share with you about this scripture, as you know, we're in this series called Disciple. Um, and you guys have just started this series. Uh, and, and what we're looking at is what does it truly mean to be a disciple? Uh, in our culture, uh, we really have almost two different di- two different definitions of what a disciple is. You know, you can call yourself a Christian in our culture and really not be a disciple of Christ because a disciple uh, is a follower of Jesus, right? How many people do you know uh, that would say, hey, yeah, Billy, I'm a Christian or hey, they tell you I'm a Christian, I love Jesus. But then when you begin to look at their life, their lives look nothing like Jesus, right? And so we grow up in this Bible belt. We're from, we live in this Bible belt of, of, of where we are in Georgia, uh, where, where Christianity is just kind of a fad. It's just something that you do because your parents did it or because uh, this is the church that you go to or all this stuff. But what we want to do in this series is really talk about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Because that's when Jesus came to earth and he was calling people to follow him. He, he, did, he never used the word Christian. Christian didn't come along until later on in Acts. He asked, do you want to follow me? Will you follow me? Do you want to be a disciple? Here's what it looks like. And so for us, we're going to define disciple as three identities, right? So these three identities Michael probably introduced last week. One is a worshiper. So somebody who's a disciple of Christ, they put Christ first in every area of their life. That's what they're striving to do. Not perfect, but they're... The second area, which I'm going to talk about this morning, is a servant. So not only do they strive to put Christ first, but they also live a life focused on other people they're not they don't live for themselves anymore they live to serve other people and count other people more significant than themselves. and then the last one is a missionary somebody who uh, embraces the mission of God to follow Christ uh, is to be a disciple maker um, and so Michael's going to talk some more about those but today I really want to look at this idea of being a servant so uh, to be a follower of Christ God calls us to be a servant if you got a pen I want you to write down the simple statement Uh, This statement right here uh, is is what I want you to take away from the sermon today. Uh, Write this down. Saved people serve people. Right? You got me? Y'all say it with me. Saved people serve people. Right? So here's the thing. If we are a Christian, if we're a disciple of Christ, if we love God, there's no way to pursue Jesus and follow Jesus and not be a servant. Right? It's impossible. Uh, because here's the thing, if our view of what it means to follow Christ does not lead us to love and serve other people, then we are not following the Jesus of the Bible. And so uh, you say, Billy, well, save people, serve people. That's a fancy saying. It sounds great. But why does saved people serve people? Well, here's what i tell you. Saved people serve people because when we truly experience the gospel, and when I say the gospel, I mean what we're singing about, what everybody's excited about. Hopefully what they're excited about over here beside us uh, is is this idea that that we were created to be in a relationship with God. And and, and because of sin, the fact that we were born into sin and that we uh, literally choose to want to be our own God and and do what we want to do when we want to do it. uh, the, The Bible says that that sin has separated us from the one thing that we were created for, which is a relationship with God. But God loved us. He loved you and me at our worst so much that while we were sinners, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that now if we believe in him and put our trust in Christ and what he's done, not try to earn our own salvation, not try to give enough money for our salvation, not try to come to church enough for our salvation, not try to read our Bible enough for our salvation, but if we trust in Christ and focus on him and give our lives to him, that we can be made right with God, that we can have access to the God of the universe. And the coolest thing about that is when we surrender our life to Jesus, this is what religion won't do for you. Religion is I wanna do this or I can do this or I'll do this or Billy says I need to serve so I'm gonna start serving. The gospel says because of what Christ has done for me, I'm gonna surrender my life to him and then Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God himself, is going to come and live inside of me. And so now the same desires that Jesus had are in me. And Jesus himself is going to live out of my life. God himself is going to use me as a vessel for his glory to show who he is to the world. And that's what the gospel does And so when I say uh, a person who experiences the gospel begins to become like the gospel, what I mean is that God is so generous. I mean, when we read about Jesus and you read from Matthew to John, uh, probably the most, uh, it's what we sing about more than anything is how much he loved people, right? That's pretty much the the most common one would probably be how much he loved the Father and did what the Father said, but also how much he loved people. And so when we experience this gospel and the Holy Spirit begins to live, Holy Spirit begins to live inside of you and me, what happens is we begin to become like Jesus, right? And so we begin to embrace this lifestyle of a servant. But here's what I'd tell you this morning. Uh, I don't stand before you as a perfect man. Uh, my wife could testify, and she could probably stand up here and tell you uh, that that I'm a selfish person. And I rest clear that the gospel and the, and, the, and the word of God tells me that I'm not the only selfish person in this room, right? And so 10 out of 10 people are selfish. You and I, no matter if we're a Christian or not, if we're a Christian, we just have help from the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And so here's what I want to tell you this morning. I want to talk to you about this lifestyle of being a servant, right? Because a lot of people, when they hear a pastor talk about serving, the first thing they want to do is just pull up their bootstraps and say, all right, I'll go do a service project or I'll serve my wife for a day or "or I'll do this and we try to muster it up in our own strength and what happens is a week from now, it was just a sermon that I may have remembered or I may have not remembered. But here's the thing I'd tell you this morning is that Jesus doesn't desire for you to try to do this on your own the last thing he wants you to do is try to be a servant in your own strength because listen, there's nothing you can do to a selfish heart to make it want to serve other people except for try to manipulate it on the outside working in. But the truth about the gospel is that the gospel works from the inside out, right? And so that's why when we get to a place where we feel like, man, we're just not serving our wife or we just don't have a heart to serve other people or the church or our family, we don't just muster it up and pull it up in our bootstraps. We get on our hands and knees and say, God, change my heart. God, help me be more like you. God, change me to want to count other people more significant than ourselves." And then we begin to walk it out and watch God do a work in our lives. And so this morning, I really want to talk to you about what it looks like to become a servant. And I want to talk to you about three very, very simple things. The first one is this. If you want to become a servant, You got to connect to the source, right? Connect to the source of your power. And it just goes back to what I was already talking about. I want you to listen to this. Uh, Verse 1 in in Philippians 2 says, Therefore, if, I want you to underline, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if, underline, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Holy Spirit, if any tenderness, and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He says, basically, the, the, the simple translation of that is, he says, if you have been saved, if the Holy Spirit is in you, he says, listen, this is how you should live your life, right? And why does he say that? Because here's the thing, Paul doesn't expect somebody to be able to live a life of counting other people more significant than themselves if they do not have the Holy Spirit in them, right? It, it, it's impossible. Like I'm saying, sin, literally, a lot of us, when we think of sin, our first thought is, uh, I, I got drunk, or I had sex outside of marriage, or I lied, or you would just kind of go down the Ten Commandments, I had an idol, or This, that, or the other. But here's the thing I would tell you the Bible describes sin as a lot deeper than that. It almost goes all the way back to the beginning in the garden where Adam and Eve make a choice. God says, I want you to live in this garden, this perfect garden with perfect fellowship, with a perfect relationship with me. But here's the thing you can't do you can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and eat of the tree of abundant life. It's impossible. You can't do both. And so, God leaves them to do that, and what do they do? They say, well, I know God said this, but I think life would be cooler if I were my own God, right? And we want to be our own God. We all take after Adam and Eve, and we all want to do what we want to do when we want to do it, and that's where the power of the gospel has to come in. It's what I'm telling you. We have to be able to connect to the source because I can honestly tell you from my own experience there, pretty much, if not every day, every other day, I wake up and my first thought is what do I have to do today? My first thought is me, right? Is anybody with me? I mean, your first thought when you wake up is what do I have to do, right? We are autopiloted to live for ourselves. What do I need to take care of? What can I do to make my life easier today? What can I do to be successful today, right? And so what we do is we... we, if we follow the way of the world, we just live this selfish lifestyle where it's all about selfish ambition and really vain conceit where we live and we are kind of the nucleus of our life. I mean, all it, it's, it's we're, we're the sun and all the planets revolve around us, but that's not what God's called us to do. When we begin to connect to the source of God, what happens is this Holy Spirit begins to, to work out of us. And I want you to hear something because I, I truly believe probably the biggest fear that I have for any person in this room, and you've probably already heard it, is this fear of you buying into religion. Because religion makes you feel good about yourself. You know what I'm saying? Religion makes you feel like, man, I came to church this morning. God's pleased with me. I gave a little bit of money. Uh, I raised my hand during worship. I heard a good sermon. I can tell you a little bit about the sermon. Man, we're going to have a great week this week. But here's the thing: if The Holy Spirit is not doing a work in your life. I can only motivate you for probably two or three days. If I'm a real good preacher, then maybe five. And apart from the Holy Spirit, I'm a motivational speaker. And so, what I'm trusting in is the fact that you guys would surrender your life to Christ and allow Christ to begin to transform you from the inside out. What do I mean by that? So, here's what I mean religion focuses on the outside in where the gospel focuses on the inside out. What does that look like? That means when you surrender your life to Christ, he gives you a new heart. Ezekiel 36 tells us that's what salvation is. He says, I put my Holy Spirit inside of you. I give you a new heart. Uh, You you become a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5 would say. And what happens is you you get, it's almost like you get an angel on this shoulder now to guide you through life, to say, hey, Billy, you probably don't live for yourself, but then you still have this old self that's used to living for yourself, right? Because if you're in this room, you're 20 years old, 18 years old, 35, 40 years old, for that many years of your life up until salvation, your mind has learned to function selfishly, and so your lifestyle revolves around you. That's where I was, and then I began to to follow Christ, and I began to think, well, I don't wanna live for myself. I wanna live for God. That's what the Bible tells me I was created to do. And then I figure out, man, this is hard. Because every step you take, it's like you have to fight this selfish ambition inside of you called sin. But here's the thing I've learned that if I'll begin to surrender to Christ and actually go to the person, the source that can change me, God will do a work in my life, but it takes me trusting him and not trust in my own pride and 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 competitive nature that tells me I can change myself. If that makes sense. We got to connect to the source, which is God. And and I was talking to my wife about this on the way down here. I asked her this question: Do you think the gospel gives you a new heart or a new mind? Do you think the gospel work starts in your heart or does it start in your mind? A lot of people argue about where this starts because. 1 Corinthians tells us that uh, the gospel, when we surrender our life to Christ, gives us a new mind. Ezekiel tells us when we get the Holy Spirit, we get a new heart. So both of them happen to a degree. But but what happens is when you have those desires of Christ that are working out of you that say, yeah, Billy, you need to lay your life down, live like Jesus, love people, love God, make disciples, you have that, but then you also have this, this brain, this mind that literally has learned to function selfishly for your whole life lifestyle. And so where do you start? Do you start with a readjustment of how you think or do you start with the new heart of Christ? And I think the answer is both. We have to ask God for the desire, but we also have to begin to train our mind to begin to think that way, which is my second point I want to talk to you about this morning. It's embracing the mindset. So not only do we got to connect to the source, know who we run to, the only person that can change us, the Holy Spirit, but we have to embrace the mindset. Billy, what mindset are you talking about? I'm glad you asked. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. I want you to underline that, write it down, type it in your phone, lipstick it, whatever you got to do. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That verse will change your life. That verse has done more for me in my relationship with God. It's done more for my marriage. It's done for me. It's done more for me as a member of Connection Church. It's done more for me as a dad. It's done more in my life than probably any other verse outside of, of God revealing the gospel to me and me surrender my life to Christ. Because listen to me, This verse will change your life. I want y'all to repeat something with me. This is the the, the greatest thing you'll ever do. Every morning when you wake up, I want you to say this statement to yourself. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's so simple, but it kind of stings a little bit, doesn't it? But I'm telling you, that's the sting of God growing you into who he's called you to be. Because listen to me. Your greatest joy, your greatest fulfillment is not found when life is about you. Though that's what the world is going to tell you, though that is what's going to feel right sometimes, right? You know what I'm saying? Anybody just feel right when you can do what you want to do when you want to do it? Like, man, when my wife lets me go hunting or my wife lets me uh, go buy something that I'm really wanting, wanting to buy, or, we, you know, she just kind of says, yeah, you just do what you want to do. There's just like a I like. You just want to get up and run. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, exactly. That's what I want to do. And what happens if I start to buy into this lie, I'll begin to do what I want to do all the time and think that it's going to lead me to satisfaction, to joy, to fulfillment. But listen to me, and, and, and I've not arrived by any means, but I know a lot of people that have made more money than probably any person in this room could ever hope to make who've been more successful at what they can do than anybody else. And all of them, I'm telling you, alike will tell you, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's the God of the universe. He created you. He created me. He knows that your best life now is found in surrender. In order to find life, we must lay our life down. Right? And so that's the mindset that God wants to begin to build into you. I want you to just think about how would this mindset change everything for you? How would it change your relationship with your spouse? Men, how would it change your relationship with your spouse if you went into it saying, I'm going to count her more significant than myself? So that means when I go and I want to, you know, I get off of work and I'm tired and I just want to do what I want to do and I just want to kick back, boom, sports center, sit back, cup of coffee, and just focus there. She'll take care of Will, our little two-year-old son, Uh, not to mention she's already worked a a 40-hour week too, and she's tired and all this stuff. But listen, when I get in that mindset where I'm counting me as the most important thing, I don't consider her at all. I don't consider that she's worked just as hard as I've worked all week. I don't consider that she's tired. I don't consider any of that. But when I begin to count her more significant than myself, my first question when I get home, well, my first thing is, God, help me serve her because I'm tired and I really can't do this on my own. And then it's, hey, babe, what can I do to help you today? You see that? I mean, I'm telling you, that would change some of y'all's marriages right now. I mean, it would take it to the next level immediately. Right? What would it change in the way that you raised your kids? If if you literally didn't think about making more money or going to work more, getting this overtime or or moving up the ladder, but you began to think, God's given me 18 years with this child. And for these 18 years, I got to put them first. I got to put God there, my wife second, and this kid here. And my goal, the reason God has given me this child is to raise them up to love Jesus. If I'm going to do that, I have to be present with them because listen that they can learn a lot from you sitting down with them at night and reading a story but they're going to catch more from how you live your life than they're going to get taught that make sense and so if you're with them and you begin to say what can I do to count them more significant than myself man I don't want to go jump on this trampoline right now but but I want to I want him to know Jesus and I want him to know that I love him unconditionally the same way God does it changes everything. I'm telling you, it, it would change the way you it would change the way you embrace being a church member at Connection Church Pooler. It really would. I'm telling you that when you come into a church, everybody kind of goes through a life cycle uh, that you go through this life cycle uh, of being a, a consumer. Right. We all start as a consumer. So most of us, when we walk through the doors of Connection Church Pooler, we're thinking, man, how's the worship can the preacher preach? Is the facility nice? Do they take care of kids? Let's look at the kids ministry. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just who we are, right? Where our culture has taught us to become that way, but where it becomes wrong is when we never move past that. I think it's okay to come into a church and say, is the guy preaching the gospel? Is Is he preaching out of scripture? Is scripture where what he's saying is coming from? But then I think as we begin to say, okay, this church is not about one person. It's about the body. It's about a group of people. That's how God designed it. We have to begin to say, okay, well, what part has God called me to play? Because he's given me a gift that's meant to be a part of this body so that we can paint a picture of Jesus to this community unlike anything else. And I begin, if we if we begin to embrace this lifestyle of how do I count other people more significant than ourselves? I'm telling you, it'll change everything because we won't show up to church just to kind of worship and and get our thing on we'll show up to make other people's life a lot easier so we'll go back there and we'll serve in kids so that parents can come in here and worship freely all the barriers broken down hear the gospel change their lives so that they can change a family's life right we'll come in here and, and we'll do whatever Michael what do you need me to do Because I'm willing to do it because I want to see life transformation happen. Because it's not about me. It's about God and it's about his mission moving forward. The third thing I want you to see, and this is probably the coolest part of Philippians uh, 2 to me, is that that Paul just doesn't tell you to embrace this mindset. Then he begins to give you some examples, right? And so I wish I had a lot of time where we could just read through it. Uh, But the first example is in verses 5 through 11 where he starts to talk about Christ. And he says, he says though he was fully God, he did not count equality with God something to to, to grasp. He left all that, and he became a servant. So even though he was God, he didn't walk as God on earth. He, he said, listen, I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to become like Billy, like me and you, and walk this earth as a servant to show an example for us of what we're called to do. Listen, and and, and Christ's life was characterized by humility. So w- what is counting, uh, starting this this becoming a servant for the rest of our life start with? It starts with humbling ourselves. Well, why does it start with humbling ourselves? <laughs> Listen, if there's one thing I've figured out, and this is probably most men, some women in this room, uh, we are naturally prideful, right? We're confident, we're arrogant. We, we, we just think we need to be right. Can I get an amen? wives especially, right? So when you get in an argument, a lot of times it's not about anything other than being right. I want to know that I'm right because if I'm right, that makes me a bigger man than you are, right? And so we fight this battle and you know what I'm talking about. But Christ, when he came to earth, he said, I don't have to be right. You know, if he would have fought for what was right, he would have never made it to the cross because it's not right to put an innocent man on a cross to die. But he gave up his rights and he said, listen, this isn't about me. For the joy set before me, which is the salvation and the glory of God, I'm going to go to the cross. It's the same thing with us, man. We, you, you could live for yourself, but it's not worth it. Christ says, listen, follow my example. Humble yourself. Don't live for you. Live for something bigger than yourself because that's what you're created to live for. The second uh, example he gives us is Paul. I don't know how much you know about Paul. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. And uh, Paul's life is characterized by sacrifice. God even told him when he saved him, he said, Listen, you're going to have to suffer many things for my namesake. Paul was in and out of jail. He was shipwrecked. He got bit by a snake. He was beaten. He was, I mean, luckily, they finally killed him in Rome, but it took forever. I mean, he went through basically hell and back on earth before they could kill him, you know? And it's like, Hey, I'm, we're going to kill you. And it's like, Well, Jesus ain't going to let you if he ain't done with me. And they try to beat him to death. And he's like, hey, I'm still good. Matter of fact, do you know about Jesus? You know, and so that's just Paul's life. And what happened is, man, he was willing to sacrifice everything. And so how do we live this lifestyle of counting other people more significant than ourselves? It's going to take sacrifice. Would you tell me this morning that your life is characterized by sacrifice? Sacrifice is giving up something that you want for something greater. That's what God's called us to live in, is that that tension of, of giving up something we want to do for something greater. The third example is Timothy. I, I love this. I need to read this for you. Verse 19, chapter 2. Uh, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus, is Paul talking, to send Timothy to you soon. Why do you want to send Timothy, Paul? Good question. That I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Listen, I have no one else like Timothy who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. He says, I got nobody like Timothy. I'm sending him to you because I know for 100% fact he'll be more concerned with you than he is himself that's the heart of service. That's the heart that you can't create in yourself. It takes a work of God to do that. Every day, I'm telling you, God, help me live this life not about me, but about other people, about my family, about my friends, about people that do not know you. And then probably my favorite is Epaphroditus, who you may not know. Uh, It's kind of a weird name. I call him Epap. But like I know him, I just give him a nickname because it's hard to pronounce. But Epaphroditus, listen to what his, his job was. He was a servant in this church at Philippi. Well, Paul got locked up in prison and, and the Philippi, I guess they brought a vote, said, hey, does anybody want to go care for Paul while he's in prison? Any hands, anybody? And then you got Epap in the back and he's like, I'll do it, I guess. That's fine with me. I mean, whatever needs to be done, right? That's the need, I'll meet it. So he goes and he cares for Paul while he's in jail. And for months, I mean, this isn't like a, a day. This is like literally he lived outside of the jail so that he could take care of the needs of Paul so that the gospel could, be, could, could go further and further. What I love about Epaphras was he had this mentality. See a need, meet a need. I want you write that down. See a need, meet a need. This is what it means to live your life and become a servant, is that when you see a need, you begin to say you don't look around and say, "Well, they'll do it, or they'll do it, or man, I could do that, but probably somebody can do it better." No, you say, "Listen, if there's a need, Michael, if there's a need in this church, let me know. I'd love to do anything." Right? I, trust me, as a pastor, when somebody comes up and says, "Billy, I'll do whatever you need me to do," that's my favorite person in the whole entire church. That's the person that God begins to use the, the most. I'm telling you, it, it, it's the mindset of Christ to see a need. Meet a need. I want to ask you. I really want to end with an example, and I got about a little bit of time to do this. But I want you to show you. I just want to give you a picture of what begins to happen when we begin to embrace this mindset. And this is just as a church, when humility and and sacrifice and and sincere love and see a need, meet a need, begin to flow out of our life. And and I used this example in Vade a couple weeks ago, and they said it was good, so I'm gonna try it on you guys. But uh, here's the thing that I, I've started to to realize that, that begins to happen is that when people begin to embrace this mindset in the church, where it's like, hey, I, hey, whatever I, whatever you think would be good for me to do, I'll do it. Hey, whatever I I, I um, you know I, I talked to a lady out front, um, Abby that that owns a, a coffee shop. I don't know if she's in here. I'm about to embarrass her, but uh, you know, and she's serving coffee out front. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, that's a perfect job for her. She knows how to serve coffee. She owns a coffee shop. She's perfect. She's friendly. She made me feel welcome. This is great, right? So I meet Abby, and then I start coming back. And before I come out here, uh, Eric grabs me, and he's like, hey, let's go pray. And he takes me in this weird room back here, and I'm like, all right, he's going (laughs) to kill me with a nail. But uh, he prays for me, right? And, And he prays for me. He says, hey, is there anything on your heart? Is there anything that I can pray for you with this group of people? And he says, listen, I. I don't know what I can do, but I pray, so I'll pray. Michael, if you need me to pray, I'll pray, right? Well, we, we dropped our son off, and somebody has graciously given their time to keep will so I, that I can be in here and teach you guys and, and really teach you what God has taught me from the Bible, right? And, and then you got uh, Thomas in the back, or Thomas singing, right? Thomas says, listen, I can sing. I don't know. I, I like to work out, but I can, I can sing too. <laughs> and he says, I'll do that. And so let me tell you what happens when, when people begin to embrace this. It's, it's uh, Abby at the front with coffee. She begins to, to, to embrace her spiritual gift and say, hey, I'm willing to do whatever. I can serve coffee. And so she plays her part. And then what happens is, is uh, Eric says, hey, I can pray. Um, I, I'll, I'll pray, Billy. That's not that big of a deal. I can do that. that. That's something that I feel like God has really wanted me to do. So, what? that's the wrong side. Um, let's put that right there. And then you got the lady back there serving in kids that said, hey, I, I can serve in kids. That's not a that big of a deal. I, I'll watch some kids and teach, teach them about Jesus so that their family can come in and enjoy the worship service. And then you got Thomas who says, Hey, I, I can sing a little bit, so I, I'll sing. And so what happens is, this is a picture of me baptizing my mom. And so what happens is, because these people are willing to say, I, I'll do whatever, I, I'll embrace this lifestyle that God's called me to embrace, people's lives get changed. Because listen, when you walk through the front door and you're greeted with hospitality, you see Christ. When somebody comes and takes your child from you and says, hey, I want you to enjoy the service. We'll have, we got everything taken care of. I'm gonna talk to your kid about Jesus in here. We'll keep him. If, if we need anything, we'll let you know. We see Christ. When Eric prays for you and you don't even know it, you see Christ working in the power of the Holy Spirit. When Thomas comes up here and sings the gospel to you, you see Christ. And as that happens, what God does is he uses that to change lives. And listen, this picture may not mean much to you, but this is my mom. I want you to think about who's that one person in your life that you want to see God transform. And listen, Serving really didn't mean much to me until I brought that one person that I wanted to see God just transform and just do a work in. And then I'm worried, man, are the people at the coffee, are they going to talk to her at all? Hey, this is my mom. You're going to talk to my mom. You know what I'm saying? If you begin to invite people, but I'm telling you, what God can do with a group of people who are willing to count other people more significant than themselves, and say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. But I want you to help me. God, I'm willing to surrender. And if I'll surrender, I know what you can do. And so I just want to pray for us right now as the band comes back up to lead us in our last song. And I just want you to bow your head where you are. And I just want to ask you some questions uh, and give you an opportunity to respond. If you're here this morning and you say, you don't have a relationship with God. Here's what i tell you. Service begins with salvation. It starts there. If we try to skip first base to get to second base, we, we we get called out. It's the same idea. If if we don't start with God doing a work in our hearts, listen, this won't be able to sustain. And so our first step is not to, to serve or to try to count other people more significant than theirself. Though that would be a great uh, good thing to do. Your first step is to say, Lord, I need you to change my heart. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live for you. I realize. I'm sin- I'm a sinner, I'm selfish, I need you. And so this morning, maybe you're here and you'd say, I-, I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. I want God to do that work in me. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand. We got a prayer team that would love to, to pray with you. Amen, amen. give you a few more minutes. Anybody else? You say, yeah, that's me. I I want God to start that work in my heart this morning. And for the rest of us, here's what I'd say. This isn't a one-time thing, right? It isn't that you get saved and you just naturally become a servant. Listen, if you're anything like me, this is going to be a daily battle because I'm telling you, every morning you wake up. Your natural tendency is going to be to put yourself first. And so maybe today, how God wants you to respond is just as we sing this last song, come and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need you to help. Uh, There's opportunities to sign up. If you want to serve just in the church, we'd love to have you serve serve at Next Steps. Maybe you need prayer for your marriage. Listen, the prayer team will be up here to pray. I'll be up here to pray with you guys. Whatever it is, do not walk out of this room without asking God to do a work in your heart Father thank you so much for today God I thank you for the opportunity to share with your people God I pray that this scripture would lead us to you God would we not try to change ourselves but God would we realize that you're the only person that can change us from the inside out God thank you for the gospel God thank you that you love us so much that you don't leave us to ourselves. Father we surrender our lives to you we worship you God we lift you up We ask that you'd meet us exactly where we are, in Jesus' name.